Hello and welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. This is the report number 37. We're going to cover the findings from the month of, of February. My name is Edison Magalhães here at Iowa State University. Hello, my name is Giovanni Trevisan here at Iowa State University. Hello, Daniel Linhares at Iowa State. And today we're going to cover the results from the month of February uh, of 2021. But first, we have the pleasure to have here uh, Dr. Cesar Corzo from the University of Minnesota. Dr. Corzo is an associate professor at at University of Minnesota, and he coordinates the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project, MSHIMP, uh, which monitors the incidence of uh, and prevalence of PERS in the U.S. and also PED. And it's going to be a really good conversation, especially Dr. Corzo, because most of the of the invited speakers that we that we invite here. They say, they talk that, especially the, the practitioners in the field, they say that they like to use both reports, the SDRS and also the MSHIMP, uh, to understand what is happening in that specific month. So it's a good moment to do that right now, right, with, with PERS and PD, everything going on. And your second time here, so thanks a lot and, and welcome. Thank you for the invitation, Azor, and happy to be here with you today to visit about all these things that we like. <laughs> Okay, so Dr. Corso, just to start an overall question regarding the, these projects, in, in your opinion, what is the value of programs such as the SDRS and the MSHIMP uh, for the swine industry? Yeah, that's a good question, Adrian. I think it's, it, uh, it's going to depend on, the, on who sees the reports, right? But I think uh, because both reports complement themselves so well, I think both reports gives the producer, the practitioner, the stakeholders, a good idea what's happening in the United States, right? I think it, it, it clearly shows what the current trends are. So I think that's one thing that it's very clear that both reports do. So it raises mm-hmm. awareness of what's happening. I think the other one is uh, somehow it helps you or helps systems with risk mitigation. So if uh, if at a certain, a certain point in time they see that there's more a occurrence of a specific disease in a specific region, maybe there might be some opportunities to, I don't know, avoid movement of gills or avoid mm-hmm. movement of, of, of pace into those areas, right? Now, the other thing is uh, maybe you can also use that information to adjust your monitoring programs, right? Maybe they're not monitoring for a specific disease or maybe they're just uh, the sample size is too small and they just want to increase their confidence level. I think that's another one. And I think the other one that I think we're getting closer to it, uh, to our real time is, uh, the more, the more we get better at uh, comparing sequences in real time, I think that will come up uh, as, a, as another value out of these reports. Yeah, for sure. Especially the 144 that recently happened, that discussion that put together data from the SDRS, the MSHIMP, that collaboration for the swine industry, for sure it's important, right? That's a great example. Yes. Okay. Yep. So let's start the report here in the first page, which is the, pa- the page that covers uh, PCR detection for, for PERS. Giovanni, what, are the, what were the highlights for the, the, the last month and, and this winter so far for PERS detection? Well, as expected, the growth finish sites continues to lead the percentage of positive PCR results for PERS virus. And the advisory group did point out for us that this Detection in winter market animals is contributed by increased detection that occurred in adult south farms during the last months of fall and beginning of the winter. So those farms did 
send positive peaks to the placement in the finishing barns. Mm-hmm. So this favors the regional spread of the agent. And on top of that, there was some emerging, re-emerging of different product strains that was encountered in different regions of the, the country. And those strains continue to con, uh, continue to produce a considerable impact in the infected herds. A uh, considerable number of outbreaks was associated with these strains, the PERS virus LFLP144 lineage 1C variant infection that continues to be associated with severe clinical signs and mortality in growth in pigs. Oh, great points, Giovanni. Thanks. So, Dr. Corzo, as Giovanni just mentioned, like we saw that PERS detection, at least in, in, in the SDRS, is between the the forecasted values for this this month, but particularly in south farms, we had a decrease from January to February, which didn't happen in previous years. Uh, and it looks like that the MSHIMP report, in the, the PERS incidence at the at the MSHIMP report this winter also appears to be one of the lowest values compared to to previous years. So, what are your thoughts on it? Anything related to some specific strategies implemented in in 2020? What do, comes in your mind? Yes, uh, Edison, and uh, and you're right. You know, we continue to see that lower trend uh, this year. I think we are roughly at uh, 50%. Uh, roughly that's uh, uh, between 350 and 400,000 sows that have reported a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and surprisingly, it's a, a little bit lower, right? Uh, which, you know, at the end of the day, it shouldn't surprise us in the sense that uh, there's there continues to be a lot of effort uh, from producers and practitioners from a compliance standpoint, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, there's a lot of things that they continue to do that uh, maybe this year we're seeing a little bit more compliance perhaps, right? After all these uh, messages uh, due to COVID, maybe people have mm-hmm. really realized that, okay, we have the we have our measures in place. Are we actually implementing them 100% of the time or 90% of the time? or 70% of the time, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm sure that all the practitioners and producers are always asking that same question, and perhaps that has made the needle move a little bit uh, towards the towards the lower side. Mm-hmm. Now, I, don't, I haven't heard of anything specific besides uh, let's go and check what we have and whether we're doing it correctly or not, but I haven't heard that, that there's other things on top of what we already knew, producers already already using or implementing in the system. So it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the, in, in the next few months, right? As, uh, as, uh, as we see a little bit more movement, not only from a, from a swine industry perspective, but also from the people uh, side in the sense that more COVID vaccinations. So I don't know if that's going to mean more people movement as well, freely throughout the systems. Uh, so we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. I really hope, I really hope that uh, we don't report more breaks, but unfortunately we know that they're going to happen. And Cesar, a quick follow-up on that. The incidents, <clears throat> like you said and Edison said, appears to be relatively low compared to the early days of uh, of the M-SHIMP, 2019 or so. And but but still, if you look at the prevalence numbers, they appear to be on the high side, right on the high end. So how can you have a lower incidence with a higher prevalence? Does it have to do with the duration to eliminate the virus from the south farms, or what's going on there? You're right. You're exactly right, Daniel. And that's something that sometimes we fail to explain well. That uh, yeah, 
even though we have a, a lower incidence, our prevalence continues to remain high, right? Mm-hmm. Just because, as as you know, and and you have you guys have uh, you Daniel, you documented that very well, and continue to do it. First persistence at the population level in the breeding herd is quite long, right? Mm-hmm. And that as we add more farms to that unstable category, well, they're going to remain in that unstable category for a longer period of time, just because we're doing more, we're doing more testing, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like, yeah, we add more to the pile, but we don't take them out of that pile uh, fast enough, right? Just because we have to wait 30, 40, 50, and, and I've heard of cases of 60, 70 weeks until they go into the next category. So I think that's why our prevalence continues to go up, mm-hmm. right? Just because we're not taking herds from the status one category to status mm-hmm. two. So I, I feel like today we're doing a better job uh, at uh, avoiding those misclassifications, right? So uh, in the past, I know that, uh, and, and, and you know, you guys know this very well, that uh, we just uh, were very complacent with the 30 samples per month, mm-hmm. right? Nowadays, that has changed a little bit because we're, I think, smarter, and we know that uh, these low prevalences are being detected. So those those lengths of closure yeah. uh, are increasing and increasing a little bit just because we want to increase the chances of eliminating. So I think that that's, that's why it's related to that uh, graph. Also, we stopped seeing that cyclical pattern in that, uh, in that prevalence graph, you know, again, for right. the same thing, right. mm-hmm. for the same thing. Better classification, avoiding those uh, false negative classifications, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's better, you know. We're putting fewer – oh, yeah, I guess we're, we're, we're putting fewer herds at risk when it comes to introducing guilds again. Mm-hmm. Right? So, 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 again, it, it's a pretty uh, interesting factor there that we're seeing. So one thing is monitoring, like you said. And the other thing, and just to follow up on, on the, that highlight from Giovanni, is, is the – is the, is the virulence or persistent uh, ability to persist in the population of, of 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 the viruses, right? One thing or the other, maybe both uh, two things combined. And more specifically, the the hot strain of the moment is that one of the RFLP one four four belonging to the one uh, C lineage. When you uh, look at the uh, Igor's and Kim's uh, classification system, right? That variant. We've discussed that in, pre- in, in other meetings and 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 uh, and, 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 and conferences. And so, but, uh, anyways, what are your your perception on the current situation of that at this moment, Cesar? The that specific lineage, the one C of one one four four pattern. How's that going? It, yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, because we saw this uh, very interesting spike in the in the months of October, November last year. Uh, in this very specific region, you know, where we saw that uh, 90% of the sequences came from our region uh, of, of a 50-mile radius, you know. So we said, well, this is kind of odd. Uh, but then we started seeing a little bit south to that of that region in another state. So we know that it's out there, that it was spreading. It was just a very specific uh, situation in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're just approaching 100 sequences in our database that relate to this uh, cluster. Uh, and I think there might be more outbreaks that we're not capturing. So I think as, as data continues to flow into all of our platforms, we're going to understand a little bit better what's happening. Now, to me, the striking thing is that uh, it went through a, 
a lot of biosecurity programs that I don't think they were bad, but I, we, I guess it just got missed, you know? So to me today, I think people are, are smarter and they say, okay, it happened in October and November and December. We better make sure that things are, are, are better because you know that we're not out of the first season until we get to the May, maybe June, right? We always see mm-hmm. that little spike in April. Uh, so I think maybe people have realized that all the all the information that you guys have shared, that we have shared, it has raised awareness. And maybe that may have slowed it down a little bit mm-hmm. because we haven't seen that many uh, occurrences or reports in the last few weeks now. So hopefully it will stay like that. So knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was great to see that, that specifically webinar focus on that because if you think about they did that pretty fast, like putting data from the MSHIM, from the SDRS. The chic people. webinar, right? Yep, yep. The chic webinar, bringing people from the field, like po- Dr. Poe asking, bringing his perception. And it's a really, they did that in a really, really, like, mm-hmm. fast time, bringing a lot of information, very important information, maybe in other countries. Uh, that wouldn't be, occur so fast, let's say, like that. So yeah, and, and, and when we look for this type of uh, information, we have this example of the ones uh, one for four, but there is other regions that are reporting other strains. Like uh, on the report, we say that there was increased activity in the Ohio, Indiana states, and some person over there is reporting well, 174. On the Nebraska, is reporting like a 184. So these regional patterns, it's something that need to be further explored and compare with this database of your individual production system to help yourself to decide what is the, the yeah. time to make some interventions and apply better biosecurity and biocontainment practices. Exactly, and that's a great example, you know, how these two reports contribute to the industry because we're just raising awareness of a problem, right? Hey, this is what all the data that everybody makes the effort of sharing with us. Uh, so you manage it in a way, we manage it in another way, but at the end of the day, we're just telling them, we're seeing something different that we hadn't seen in the previous yeah. months or previous year. This is what we're seeing so that everybody's aware that, okay, this is happening. And if they happen to go through an outbreak that kind of resembles the 144, which I think that's a different discussion, they can at least start investigating whether mm-hmm. that 144 is the same as the actual mm-hmm. outbreak mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. ongoing, right? So I think that's important. Uh, one other thing that I realized is that I'm sure this is not the first one. I, like uh, like others have said, this has happened m- many, many times in the past. But I think this is different in the sense that we are reacting way, way earlier yeah. so that people can at least have the opportunity to make a, a strategic decisions, you know, not moving guilt or vaccinating ahead of time or depopulating if they need to depopulate or, or trying to move pigs away from sow herds so that they can protect the sow herds. So I think that helps a little bit for those that have that capability. Yeah, especially when uh, and you guys have done that. We have done that too. Is disseminate the information uh, for the swine industry and remind people that even though we talk about the U.S. swine industry, there are different regions and there are different uh, types of operations, right? So when we disseminate the information, we we can uh, uh, let people understand if we're seeing or hearing or have evidence of what's going on. And then uh, if, if we can, then we try to always try to do that. Is it, is it more on South Farms, more on Grow Finish, more in the Midwest, more in the East or, or South or, or West part, right? So as you say, people could be 
uh, increase awareness, but at the same time, we don't want to panic everybody, right, without having the, <laughs> having the reason. So uh, that uh, I like that, uh, that uh, idea of disseminating as, uh, as, 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 whenever it's possible to disseminate the information, providing the, the regions and the, and the, and the age groups that are being affected, right, so that people can make those decisions accordingly. Yeah, just like a, a participant told me a few weeks ago, uh, what would have happened if us, uh, SDRS and, uh, and, and MSHIMP, wouldn't have shared with the industry what we were seeing? I mean, we would have been blamed for not sharing this information, <laughs> right? Just like with the COVID situation, right? We right. can't keep that to ourselves because our, our 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 objective is to compile the data, analyze it, and share it with 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 the industry as far, as fast as possible, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, great. Let's move to the. We, I, I wanted to keep that discussion, but we have to move on the, to the next agent, which is PD, uh, actually the enteric coronavirus overall. So, Giovanni, what were the, the highlights for this the last month in terms of PD? Well, the entire coronavirus is interesting to see this beginning of 2021 detection, where PD mm-hmm. is following a trend of detection lower of the expected bond virus. On the other side, the Delta coronavirus is above expected for January and February. And we ask our advisory group, what's going on? What What's the difference from this year, from the previous years, in terms of entire coronavirus detection? And the advisory group pointed out that in 2020, uh, lots of things occurred in the field, and some farms that were PD positive went to the population, so that helps to reduce the uh, number of infected pigs that were sent to the winter market uh, farms. There was improvement in truck washing and mm-hmm. baking system, lots of efforts in terms of the cleaning and disinfection of the farms, use of validated feed mitigants, and right now it's occurring something in the field that is a less intense finishing barn turnarounds due to lower number of finishing animals that are placed. So this helps us to reduce the pressure of infection, but additionally to that, this helps to uh, facilitate the sanitation practice and reduce the potential transmission of PED from packing plants to the new animals that are going to be placed in those sites. Mm-hmm. For Delta coronavirus, we are seeing this increased detection for the months of uh, January and February, and this was identified as a local issue. Okay. One question was generated to us that if there was some, uh, in terms of genetic changes of Delta coronavirus, and we run this question to the VDL participant specialists, and they report to us that no evidence of genetic t- changes for Delta coronavirus are identified up to now. Oh, great points. So, Dr. Kozo, focusing first here on, on the PED specifically, so as Giovanni just mentioned, we saw this uh, lower detection of, of PED for this year below the, the forecasted values for this time of the year. And also, if you're looking at the, the MSHIMP report, the, the incidence is one of the lowest in the in the previous last, last years. So, additionally to, to also what Giovanni said from, from the field, what are your thoughts on that? What have you been hearing from, from from the MSHIM participants. Yeah, that's uh, I think coronaviruses continue to be uh, a, a tricky ones in the sense that um, the trends are a little bit strange in the sense that uh, 
BED, uh, in our data set, uh, e even though it stays a little bit low, every now and then we have this uh, spikes, you know, and cluster by company, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe one farm breaks and unfortunately the, the virus is not contained and it gets into another cell farm mm -hmm. that it's close by or so, so it, it, it has been pretty strange. Now, I think we're about uh, at uh, a little bit below 2%, which it kind of matches what we have seen throughout the year. The, the last uh, update that we got, we, we're going to see a little increase in there, right? Uh, there's, but again, it's all clustered by farm, uh, by, sorry, by company. Okay. The interesting thing is that most of these sow farms, they haven't had a history of PED in the last, uh, I want to say, couple of years, right, or three years. So it's I think it's farms that are, Located in high dense regions uh, that uh, hadn't had a break in the last two three years, uh, or farms that are in uh, in low dense regions or medium to low dense regions, and they have a break. So it's kind of hard to 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 understand what's happening. You know, mm -hmm. again, like 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 you guys said, we're still trying to figure out what's the deal with uh, with slaughter plants and the moving those uh, viruses back to farms. Mm -hmm. So it's that's that's what I've been seeing. You know, because again. We know that there's some feed mitigants out there. Some may not have it. There's quite a few, quite a few that do not have feed mitigants that do not break, right? And some that do have it that break, right? So it's it's still mm -hmm. the, the data is kind of uh, blurry at this point, you know. But mm -hmm. we've seen activity in the last uh, few weeks, at least in four or five states. Okay. Oh, great! Mm -hmm. Thanks for your comments. Good, good discussion, guys. Giovanni, moving to the next uh, agent, which is mycoplasma detection. Uh, how how was the, the previous month in terms of detection by PCR? Well, mycoplasma detection is expected to decrease during January, February, and they observed this moderate decrease from January to February, and was an uptick in January for adult cell farms, but now in February that came to the uh, expected value, so looks like everything is within expected. Okay. And just to clarify to the listener, talking about mycoplasma, high pneumonia, right? Yeah, correct. And lastly, you're going to cover the page, uh, the, bring the updates on the page on, of disease diagnose, which covers the, uh, the, the diagnose, disease diagnose of tissue submitted to the ISU VDL. Giovanni, what, what were the highlights for, for this month as well? Well, overall, the number of diagnoses here in the laboratory is within the expected for this period of year. And we just saw an increase, that means signals, for number of cases that were diagnosed with Bordetella bronchoseptica during January. Besides of that, we didn't see for any other agent these changes. Okay. Okay, thanks, Giovanni. And thanks, Dr. Corzo. We have a final question for, for all the, the, the invited speakers and love to, to, to hear our answer on that. And was a good discussion so far with um, focusing here on PERS and, 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 and inter coronavirus. But our final question is basically based, uh, Dr. Koza, based on, on all the, the field experience and, and the university experience that you that you have. How do you envision the future of, of disease diagnosis uh, and, and surveillance in the in the swine industry from what we are now and to the future? Oh, that's a that's a good one, a tough one. And uh, if you ask me that question in a few months, uh, I may give you a different answer. But uh, I, I think uh, there's there's several things. The first one is uh, uh, time. You know what I mean by time is we continue to decrease the lag between sample collection and sequence, 
right? When you get the sequence, right? So I think that continues to be shortened just because all the labs are doing a beautiful job in, 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 in the throughput when it comes to sequence, right? And especially now with whole genome sequencing, now we're getting to whole genomes quite, quite, quite fast, right? So, and again, hopefully, hopefully we have the platform which takes me to the second point, the platform to analyze that data, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, it's not only shortening the lag, but it's also shortening the lag between what we see at the barn level with the analysis, right? Mm-hmm. So I think those two will go hand in hand. Uh, the other thing that, I've, uh, that I feel like it, it may happen soon is that, uh, that we get a diagnosis at the barn, at the pen level right away. You know, we may not have to... And, and that's how I envision it, you know. Mm-hmm. We may get uh, the typical pregnancy test-like uh, essay, uh, but at the barn level, hopefully, we one day we'll get that. Um, but also, at the same time, I feel like the closer we get to whole genome sequences, uh, it's not that we're going to simplify our lives. I think we're going to complicate our lives a little bit, but I think we're going to be able to characterize better pathogens over time, right, mm-hmm. so that we can assess uh, diversity, right? And... Uh, and as and the last point that I see is that as uh, growing growing pig sites start mm-hmm. to be monitored a little bit more, with our capability of predicting or our capability mm-hmm. of running better spatial, temporal and spatial analysis is going to increase quite fast. So that at the end of the day, we're going to be able to give both practitioners and producers a better idea of what's happening in a region. In a in a real or like uh, real time basis, right? Yeah. Oh, great! Hope we can. Let's see what's gonna happen in the next few years and have this conversation again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so thanks yeah. again, Dr. Corzo. You have any final comments, guys? Giovanni, Daniel. Thank you very much you very for much. taking the time. Yeah, thanks, and also always good. And I think it's good to have this conversation this, between this collaboration between this, these two project, projects like we, we both said, one complement each other and both working in, to, to make the swine industry better, right, to help them with providing the data and supporting as we can. So and thanks, we, Dr. Corso. Thanks a lot and see you guys next month. Thank you. See you. Thank you. See you.